If you're hearing this, we thank you for pressing play on another edition of It's a Trimble Live podcast, Crawling Him Life in the Peak Entertainment Era. As we close the shortest month of the year, we will deliver our final two Black History Month facts for the month. All right, so given that this weekend the 54th annual NAACP Image Awards took place, um, I thought I'd give a little, a little facts about this ceremony. Uh, the first one actually was first organized and presented awards back on August 13th of 1967 at the Beverly Hilton in Los Angeles. And at the time it was first taped for NBC um, beginning in 1987 to 1994. And growing up, I remember it being on Fox, like in the 90s, I think. Um, that's where I remember watching, like, as a kid. Yeah, yeah. And then it sort of, like, vanished. Yeah. Uh, it says, 1995, not presented and had financial concerns. Um, it came up, came, it was sort of prevalent in, like, the early 2000s. And then, once again, they were having them, but I don't think they were televised. So, just within the last few years... Um, they've actually been back on TV to see, and now they're on um, BT. Yeah. So. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I, I kind of agree. I think I do remember seeing them early as well. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. Here's mine. Um, okay. So I think I don't know if it's the last time or the first one we did these, but I spoke about. Um, Ella Fitzgerald being the first black artist to win a Grammy in 1958. Well, 1958 was, must have been like a popular year for black artists because in that same year, Tommy Edwards was the first black artist to hit number one on the Billboard Hot 100 uh, with his song, It's All in the Game. Um, it's his most famous song. I, I couldn't tell you what it sounds like. Maybe I'd recognize it if I heard it, but um, in the time, which was still you know substantial, he sold over three and a half million copies worldwide and even top charts in the United Kingdom, so. Oh, I know. Yeah, I'm just sure we must have heard it for it to be that popular, but yeah, I thought that was pretty interesting as well. Okay, awesome. And with that, we'll get into our first segment with our headlines. Okay, so it's been somewhat of a kind of a quiet news week um, for the most part. Uh, let's see, HBO, given its merger under Warner Brothers and Discovery, um, is looking to lessen the budgets for their half-hour comedies. Uh, Casey Blows, who is the sort of the CEO of content over there, HBO, has seen that most of their successful shows are their hour-long dramas, and they'll probably look at cutting back the funds that they allot for the half-hour sitcoms or comedies. So yeah. um, we know they canceled Southside. <laughs> this past week so shows like that may either shrink on the platform or just not have as big as budgets as they previously did okay which is kind of unfortunate yeah it is so we'll see what happens there um in other hbo news uh creator jeremy armstrong announced that this fourth season of succession will be the final season of the series uh it wrapped up the third season back in december of 2021 um and there's high anticipation for this season given where the story left off and honestly i think that's a good fit for the story i don't know where else it could go yeah and four seasons it's just a good number four or five six at the most for for a tv series usually i i wonder if this came as a surprise to most of the fan base though i don't know if they expect this something to go a long time or or if they agree with you, like, oh, four is good. Yeah, I think I think it's probably split. Uh, allegedly, there were, like, rumors that this would be the last one. I guess Brian Cox had hinted at it in interviews and things like that. Um, and maybe, I know uh, some fans were upset thinking it would go on longer. For me, yeah. I feel like the story has reached sort of, like, its peak, its pinnacle. Yeah. So I'm I'm fine with the four season. And I appreciate them saying that instead of us finding out at the end of the fourth. Right, right. But the stories are like hanging in the air there. So 
And then finally, this story sort of erupted near closer to the weekend, but um, the creator of Dilbert, um, sort of like the workplace comic that's been on for years, his name is Scott Adams, had never heard of his name before this incident, but he went on a rant on Twitter or online somewhere um, suggesting that white people should segregate themselves from black people because black people are a hate group. And he was referencing this, referencing this to some survey that talked about, I don't know, people saying, what was the question? Something about. Yeah, they took a poll like, uh, and they asked, do you think, do you think it's okay to be white? I think was the question. Right. And I guess a lot of people said no or something of the sample. So he took that as, you know, some terroristic threat right. on all white people. Um, so and he doubled down on the comments as well. So since then, uh, there's been multiple publications that have canceled the Dilbert comic strip. He's been dropped by his agent and publicist, um, as well as his book publisher, where I guess he was doing some other projects. They have dropped him as well, and now he's whining about that. It's nuts because, like, one, he must really like being racist. Uh, two, because like, because why are you messing up the check like that? That's insane. But um, the the Rasmussen, whatever, this is the place that he that did this. The the poll, they are not unbiased. Their push is. Right, right, always, and they had this thing that, uh, for Trump's election, that he's going to get thirty percent of the black vote, and then it came out that he didn't get more than ten, and it was like, what are you doing? Like, but yeah, yeah. I, he knew that. Uh, yeah, yeah. I I had no idea Dilbert was still running. Like, yeah, and then and you it, have- it just. You had one uh Elon Musk sort of like retweet and show support for him against the media who says they're biased for dropping him. Yeah. No, that's just the way it works. If you're racist, yeah. you to profit. Well, most of the time. And he knew that. He knew it was coming. That uh yeah, he just messed up the bag because literally they were never gonna take Dilbert out of the paper, bro. Right. Like it was crazy. It's- it was just just the rant, most random, yeah. and honestly, like we try to live our lives. It's y'all that are always in our business. Yeah, my goodness, man. Like, damn. So, yeah. Happy Black History Month. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> over at the box office, uh, Cocaine Bear took the top this weekend as Ant Man had a historic drop in its second week. Um, it's the second highest drop for MCU film. I believe it dropped 30 million. Wow. Or it only made 30 million in the second weekend. Anyway, it's it's it was bad as the media described it. So <laughs> people are still on this is Marvel dead train or whatever. Um I don't think it's comic fatigue. I think they just have to sort of find their way through this period. Like not everything's going to hit. Everything's ebb and flow. And they'll just have to do better moving forward. So yeah. Um, I didn't have anyone in the obits. Oh, I can't think of anything. So we'll uh, move right along to our feature presentation. So this uh, episode, our future presentation is concentrated on a new segment we're introducing. Um, I want you to write a theme, which references one of my favorite movies, A Christmas Story, where we uh, discuss some films with common themes um, and, you know, what what's uh, com- comparable to their narratives, what type of differences we see, and why we appreciate this either genre of film or show with these themes. So for the month of February... Our dollar bin theater was centering films focused on uh, a romance that's central to the plot. So most of our movies um, centered on a romance between two individuals, um, as well as other things going on with the story. So let's just remind our listeners which movies we each picked. 
for this thing. Um, for mine, I had done uh, 1997's Love Jones, 1993's Poetic Justice, and 1982's Cane River. And I picked uh, Tuck Everlasting, uh, Medicine for Melancholy, and Ever After. All right. So let's start first off. Um, what were some major romance tropes you said you would find in uh, your film's narratives, if there were any? I think the one of the biggest tropes is that, um, uh, how would I say this? I'm not sure what the right term would be, but in the stories, the people before they met were living like their own lives and they just kind of happened upon one another. They weren't together. They weren't set out looking for love. It just kind of came to them. And, and um, I think that's one of the tropes that kind of put one, obviously it's the whole boy meets girl thing. They go crazy. Then there's some sort of problem. But for me, yeah, that was, that was the biggest one was that they, um, that they all had in common is that there was no initial intention to fall in love, which I think is a big thing in romance films and, and a good thing because you'll watch a film and like, okay, maybe described as a romance film, but then, you know, you kind of, get to be in the story from the go with the characters. So that's always good. Right. And I would agree, like the same with my films. Um, all my characters seem to be sort of living their lives, either um, <clears throat> experiencing their own yeah. drama, but they had their own stories and they just happened to stumble into these predicaments that put them in close encounters with each other and love seemed to blossom from there. Right. Right. Yeah, I would definitely agree. That's definitely a trope. Um, to whereas compared to like, I guess rom coms, usually the intent is like, well, some of them mainly, a lot of them focus on someone like losing that love constantly, with the intent right. to find someone, but they find them like where they least likely looked. Here, I don't think anyone was looking for love. It just sort of happens. So you're right. 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 Um, excuse me. Uh, I guess another trope would be, I'm guessing all of our stories, they end up together. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, they do. And well, Medicine for Melancholy, they kind of go their own way. But for the most of the film, they're together. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's rare to see the relationship not work out. Exactly. Exactly. And that, that, that's funny you say that because it kind of brings on another one because of the way Medicine for Melancholy ends, um, it kind of uh, reverses the whole trope of enemies to lovers. They go from liking one another at this night to having this one night stand to talking to kind of, I, I wouldn't say being, uh, I wouldn't say they like fall out of love, but throughout the film there's clearly a difference um, between the two characters that's causing a rift but you never get this horrible like okay like you know we're done here whatever so right and I think that's an honest way to depict you know sometimes it's just a fleeting a fleeting yeah. moment like romance doesn't have to be lifelong or even months it could just be an encounter and then you're done and you just move on so yeah um and then um i don't know if you did this on purpose i thought you're going to hit like a three trick here but two of your films sort of have like a fantastical element to them yeah yeah that was when i was thinking it then i couldn't think of a third one when i was doing it but what's interesting about ever after this version even though it tells the cinderella theme um it has taken out the supernatural element so there aren't the fairy godmothers there aren't mm -hmm. the, all that portion of it so and then tuck everlasting yeah is very fantasy because it deals with you know immortality and it kind of leads into another trope which each of these have is this idea of forbidden love we forget ms and for melancholy the woman i wish i knew her character off the top of my head is actually dating someone Mm. Ever after is Cinderella, so she's not of the higher class. And then Tuck Everlasting, you have this guy who is actually hundreds of years old, 
flirting with a 16 year old, which is weird, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. And in a similar way with at least poetic justice and Kane River, um, poetic justice, you had sort of like the uh narrative of not enemies but definitely indifference to yeah. love with uh lucky and uh justice and then it's the same thing with Kane River um you have these people from two different worlds within the same community and sort of how do they sort of um figure out their social differences right, right. Uh, class differences um within you know the black community um so yeah and then with love jones of course which i think is also common in some uh romance stories like there's a lover from the past um that sort of threatens what's happening now or just mm -hmm. just others that sort of distract you or whatever or interfere yeah Okay, and then um, we might have done the second one already, but um, were there any, I mean, were there any stark differences or commonalities between your films? Um, of course, the fancy thing you mentioned already, but anything else you saw threaded through each, each, uh, each of your films you watch or any stark differences? I think if there there were differences um how do i i'm i'm trying to say it. yeah they obviously medicine for melancholy is set in realistic modern type day kind of it's 2008 so interesting around the 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 um the financial crisis and in the era of like the hipsters and gentrification and everything and then you have all of them kind of in a in a in an odd way deal with class because mm. tuck everlasting um oh god what is it she's i think she had a move is the thing and so for some ways she's kind of just out in the middle of nowhere and she's kind of make fun for herself in a way and that's how she finds these people and then like i said cinderella story Cinderella. So that's one similarity that they all share. And there are any stark differences besides the fact that two of them are fantasy? I don't I don't really think so. Not in the character thing. They, they both all three films just focus on the couple. So yeah. Awesome. Okay, cool. Uh with mine, <clears throat> all three tend to be like black love stories, and they tend to be sort of like other than poetic justice in a sense, they have sort of like that independent film yeah, film yeah. feel. Because um, Kane River was an independent film, and then Love Jones was sort of like a even within the Black film boom of uh, the 90s, Love Jones felt like a outlier in sort of like yeah. the realm of films that were popular. Like most of the rom-coms in the 90s for Black films were like booty calls and the right, right. strictly business and things of that nature. And then Love Jones was sort of like something totally different and sort of niche explores sort of like the slam poetry thing that was happening that was still sort of underground. So it sort of stands yeah. out that way. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and then... Um, uh, Kane Rivers only that sort of like really hones in on the societal differences between the two yeah. uh, individuals, um, and then Poetic Justice differently sort of highlights, like John Singleton always does, highlights sort of like the social political issues that are happening yeah. around, or happening to the black people because you have this love story, but the film highlights gang violence and drug misuse, um, depression, uh, suicide, mental illness, sort of uh, HIV AIDS, a lot of black issues in this hour 50 long film. That's supposed to be about a love story. So um, and, in that way, it was a bit different. <clears throat> and to kind of one thing, well, it's not between the movies, but one thing that was definitely a theme at the time, a theme, I guess you say it's a theme, but poetic justice 
you know, it gets a lot of play for, for Tupac being in it. But that cast is nuts. But there was something that happened in the 90s. They would throw in the big stars at the time. And you, you don't get that now. You're not going to get Beyonce being in a movie. You're not going to get, mm-hmm. you know, such and such. But this had, you know, Lori Petty, uh, Q-Tip was in it. Tone Lock was in it. it. It was insane who was in that movie. But, um, yeah, I was just, uh, whenever you think about the 90s, that's one thing they always think of. They loved a uh, a, a cameo. <laughs> Definitely. Just like that opening, like you said, Laura Petty and Billy Zane, because yeah. it sort of frames, I thought that was so artistic too, like frames this sort of love story, this white version of love romance, but it quickly turned into like this violent revenge <laughs> movie. Right, yeah. And on like a flip side, you know, this love story between Justice and Q-Tip's character, and then this violence, so... Yeah, it, it was an interesting way to do that. Um, I was going to say something else. I forgot. Um, but yeah, oh, Love Jones uh, just highlights sort of like the gender politics, which yeah, a lot of romance films do, but I think it's different in Black love films. It kind of yeah. gets heightened, you know, the discussions of well, men do this or women do that or men are dogs. Yeah, yeah, they do, they do. And I kind of wish that was more of the film almost. Um, as we get into our likes or dislikes, I really wanted to know more about some of the other characters, um, especially Isaiah Washington's character and what was going on with his marriage. We just know that him and his wife were separated at a time. And she took the child, but we didn't know exactly what was going on. Right, right. But I kind of feel like in maybe today's version of Love Jones, we would have gotten like each couple's or individual's like narrative more highlighted. Right. In a sense. Um, but I liked Love Jones. Some reason I figured there will be a lot more of the poetry, but there wasn't. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> so it was because the way people talk about it online, it's like it's got off all the slam poetry. It was literally just two scenes. So I was confused. Um uh poetic just always surprised me because I thought it was a lot more violent than mm-hmm. what it is just from hearsay but it's actually really well done film i mean cane river didn't have really have any expectations because i had never heard of it yeah so uh yeah what were some likes or dislikes you had with um the films you you selected um kind of hard to pick any likes or dicks like dislikes because of you know the two films kind of being fantasy but i will say that for the time that Ever After came out, which I believe was the 1990s, like the late 90s, early 2000s, that kind of spin and putting almost a, um, uh, oh, you can almost put like a, 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 how would you say, almost like a feminist spin on the movie of, mm-hmm. of it and kind of, it's it's different than Cinderella. Everything's changed. Like I said, the, um, like the whatchamacallit is gone, uh, the whole fantastical part. But yeah, there's more, I would say that um, Cinderella has more agency. Okay. Than, yeah, than the Cinderella that we've known. So it was good and, and like that. But um, so that's a big difference. But in terms of likes and dislikes are, yeah, I think with this slate of films, it's, it's too different. But I can tell you likes and dislikes I have with, uh, love films in general oh yeah go ahead (laughs) i think maybe i'll take i'll do the big ones my my big dislike is that when some of the times the stories are just surface level i think if you have to do a love film you gotta you gotta give a little bit more background on Mm -hmm. the people and you know you gotta dig a little bit deeper and i think that's maybe one thing that turns me off about rom-coms and stuff not, not everything has to be deep and and heavy it's good to have lighthearted stuff but it loses my attention sometimes if i'm not invested in the characters before they fall in love i think that's true and i think um my biggest like 
is the potential because you know we're moving to a time now where there's you know different sexual orientations so we're just never going to stop getting love films because there's been so many stories that haven't been told so mm -hmm. yeah i think the potential is my favorite part of romance films that's that's very good potential because for a while there you don't really get the sweeping romance film right, yeah used to like a not like a pretty woman but like um i guess bridges of madison county or yeah yeah i get what you're saying things like sweeping right. romance sagas that's sort of not a thing so maybe that would come up in the future as you know more voices and stories are being all right are being able to be told right uh, right so almost in a sense with a movie like everything ever all at once there's a portion where some of it was like this sweeping romance across universes and like right. a film just about that would have been very interesting yeah yeah i could see that that would be interesting yeah um yeah so those are our three films we know have no idea what our theme will be next time but i really do love this like talking kind of de deconstructing these movies um just not on like a surface level but more of a scholarly level it's really fun yeah anything else you wanted to say um no i think that's good i think next month what i'll try to do is think i'll, I'll stay away from fantastic films i can't remember what theme we picked for next month Oh, I have no idea. We can discuss it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I can't remember, but yeah, I think for next month I'll be more um, deliberate with my picks. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> That's our feature presentation, and we'll take a quick break and come back with our streams of the week. And we are back with our streams of the week for the 19th through the, it should be the 25th. I can't count. Or whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> Anywho, um, before we get into that, we'll get into our trailer things. There were two major trailers that dropped. Well, a few, but these are the ones that stood out to me last week. And we got the full trailer for Donald Glover's, Donald Glover and Janine Neighbors. Uh, thriller series Swarm over at Amazon Prime. <laughs> it stars Dominique Fishback as a obsessed fan of a black female pop star and the dangerous, murderous link she goes to show her devotion for the artist. Um, if you saw the trailer, you basically surmise that this is <laughs> a, a, a riff off the beehive and a member of Beyonce's fandom. And I think it's just a, a, a larger discussion about the dangers of stand culture in itself. Right. Yeah, no, I, I agree. It's a, that's a whole episode right there in itself. Jesus. Right. Right. So this drops on March 17th and I believe they're releasing all the episodes at once. So you'll be able to binge it. Uh, okay. It, it looks phenomenal. Fishback is a wonderful actress. Oh, yeah, she's um, good. And I just, I can't wait to see how this plays out. It's giving, like, a modern-day misery, but within, like, the stand culture of today's pop music. So I'm really... Yeah, yeah. And the second trailer um, also stars a Black woman, Tiana Taylor, in a Sundance film that won these... Grand Jury Award, 1001. This movie is directed by A.V. Rockwell. And it's uh, a coming-of-age story where a young Black mother kidnaps her son from uh, foster care. And they go on to live their lives and just discusses sort of like their particular relationship, him growing up, and sort of where he goes once he becomes of age. Um, the reviews for this have been phenomenal. Um, it also stars uh, Will Catlett, who's, he's good in everything. Yeah, yeah. So I'm very excited for that. And I think, I'm not, I think this comes out in March as well, if I'm not mistaken. 
um, maybe late March, but it's set in New York. I think it goes from like the 90s to the present day, um, March 31st. It should be in so not sure if they'll come anywhere near here, but I definitely want to see, see that movie. All right. Well, first stop is Netflix. What were you streaming this past week? Okay, so I was busy and just needed some background noise, but um, so I turned on the I think they pronounced him the Murdell. Is that how they pronounce his name? Murdoch. It's like a K. It's okay. Okay, Murdoch. And I'm gonna be honest with you, I'm still not entirely sure of everything that went on. This shit is crazy, but this documentary kind of helped and um it gave in some like uh some background characters, you know, different family members, everything. It's absolutely just bizarre, just the, the amount of money they had in this small town. And I really watched it because this case is ongoing right now. And uh yeah, it, it was really interesting, kind of eye-opening and just the amount of power that some people have and just the destruction of what's kind of just what money can cause. And it, it was a lot. It was really interesting. So, um, yeah, that's on Netflix. Um, then I started but didn't finish this film called The Pale Blue Eye. And this is with... Uh, Christian Bell and uh, who else is there? Harry Melling. He was Daniel Radcliffe's cousin in what you call it? Harry Potter. Mm. As well as okay, Jillian yeah. Anderson. Yeah, Jillian Anderson. And, and it was an interesting film as well. And uh, in it, uh, Christian Bell plays a detective who's supposed to be guest investigating these, these grisly murders. And uh, um, he has the help of uh, a sidekick and the Harry Melling's character is Edgar Allan Poe and he eventually becomes Edgar Allan Poe. And so like this darkness kind of forms what he would go on to write. It's, it's really interesting. And um, yeah, I, did, I don't know why I watched it. I think just the cover kind of pulled me. So I was like, okay. And it's Christian Bell. You can, you really rarely are let down by Christian Bell, so. Exactly. Uh, yeah. And then the last thing I watched, and this was because I was messing around on Twitter, and somebody posted a video of this anime, and it was a credit scene, and the credit scene was playing Jodeci's, uh, or was it Jodeci? It was playing some 1990s R&B song and a credit scene of uh, anime and I was like what the hell is going on yeah it, it, it had me dying and um so it's Jojo's Bizarre Adventure but it's actually like a well-known show and people love it and it, first of all it has a lot of episodes through like six seasons but um I only got through like two or three episodes but um the the premise is just kind of like this like uh inner family fight that's going on and they want to take control of some sort of fortune but uh yeah it, it's interesting the animation's uh, really good but that point that I gotta find that video because I cannot remember the song but it had me in tears it was like you gotta be kidding me I was like I thought it was fake and then people are like no like this is legit <laughs> wow yeah yeah I've definitely heard that before but like you said animes have like 10 million trillion episodes and oh, so about. many navigate yeah um for me at netflix i checked out the film we have a ghost um mm. it was a it's like a family comedy um let me get the actor jahai diallo winston he's a well-known young actor i also starred david harbour and the premise is a family moves into this house which is haunted and Winston's character befriends the ghost that's there. And as they become, I guess, friends, um, him and his neighbor decide they're going to try to solve his murder because he doesn't remember anything um, in order to sort of like set his soul free to the other side. Um, it was pretty decent. 
it was a little long, like two hours. It didn't have to be that long, but um, it was it was fun to watch a film starring you know these black characters and the plot not be nestled in blackness. Yeah, yeah. It was just, they're just a regular family. They have their own issues. Um, they have this predicament, and they they figure it out. So yeah, it, it was it was a lot of fun to watch. Um, and over at HBO Max, we had uh, The Last of Us. Uh, which ep- which episode are you on? I will be. I didn't watch six, or I guess seven came on last night. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I will be I need to watch those two. Okay. So last we saw was with Sam and Henry. Sam no, wait, wait. What's six? Is six when he finally meets his brother again? Yeah, that was episode six. Oh my bad. Then yeah, I have seen six. I just need to watch seven. Okay, cool. So episode yeah. six was um last week's episode, and you're right. Um titled Ken, Ellie and Joel get reunited. Um in Wisconsin, Wyoming, Wyoming, uh, yeah, Wyoming, I believe, yeah, in the sort of like a uh, commune that's titled Jackson. Here, Tommy's um, met up with this community. They're self sufficient. Um, he has a wife named Maria, who's played by uh, Rutina. What's her last name? Oh yeah, shoot! Every <laughs> time I see her, I'm like, hey, she was in True Blood, like. <laughs> Rutina Wesley. Yeah. She plays Maria. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, Joel being sort of like the sort of distant Asian man he is, he's intent on leaving uh, Ellie with Tommy because he feels he's he's not going to be able to protect her. Sort of having the same feelings he had regarding Sarah, how he wasn't be able to protect her. And they decide that, you know, time is going to take her the rest of the way to these scientists further west. And, um, of course, it doesn't happen. Ellie's like, you know, I thought you would be by me because if you put me with someone else, I'm just going to be more scared. Like, this isn't fair. Um, And we find out also that Tommy's going to have a child of his own and he just can't up and leave his family. So um, Tommy and El- not Tommy, Joel and Ellie eventually, you know, sell their things, and you see them bonding closer, and they approach what I think is some like a medical facility. Yeah. And some of these shots were straight from the game. Um, the shots as they approach the van facility with the monkeys running through, like that's shot for shot from the game. Um, and they go through this facility and figure out that possibly people, fireflies had left to go to Salt Lake City, but their uh, scavenging is earned by raiders, and unfortunately, Joel is severely injured. Yeah. In a very harrowing scene. Like, I did not expect that to happen. So, Joel is knocking on death's door, and Ellie is, like, sort of at a loss of what to do next so uh, what what did you think of this episode to kind of just piggyback on what you said that moment went against the whole kind of temperature of the, the episode it was kind of a calm episode and you would expect for him to meet his brother that there'd be and there was a big kind of I guess clash between the two of them but I don't know it's just you'd expect it more from this episode but uh, yeah, I was just going, well, hold on a second. So, and I didn't play the game, so I don't know what's coming or and, and what's not. But uh, other than that, yeah, I thought it was a good episode. Um, I thought the scene where Ellie is reading the journal in the bedroom was kind of interesting because she really didn't know much about life before this whole virus took over. So I thought that was, and then that led to that conversation between them where they talk about, you know, who they've lost. And uh, that was a really good scene, one of the best. So, right, yeah. because he also, also you had Ellie finding out that um, Joel had a daughter. Right, and, right. You know, 
being, you know, she's not oblivious, she's not dumb, she's seeing the similarities and knowing that I'm not your daughter, but you're the closest thing I have to family in the world. So yeah, definitely a good episode and we're not sure what's going to happen next. Um, not to spoil anything, but episode seven is left behind and we get a bit of backstory for Ellie. So Okay, okay, well, that's good. Um, and with that, there's only two episodes left of the season. Um, it will wrap up on the 12th of Mar- March. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Right on the same night as the Oscars. So hopefully they release it early if they're smart. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, episode seven is really good. So check that out when you can. And then we have episode eight or nine. Left of HBO's The Last of Us. All right, over to Hulu. Um, I see that you revisited this show, which I kind of wish I had watched in the beginning, but had no access to. Uh, yeah. Down. Yeah. So I watched. Okay, on Hulu they have seasons one and two um, of the original series, and Party Down just started this past weekend, but it's on Stars, which thanks to Comcast, I no longer have. But. Oh. Uh, um, so I just kind of revisit it just to, you know, remember it and have a little fun. And so, it, oh, my God, it's still so funny. But for those who don't know, Party Down uh, focuses on a catering company. And it mainly focuses on um, the workers in this company. And you've got, you know, Adam Scott, uh, who is the main character. Uh, Lizzie Kaplan is in it. Oh, oh, my God, what's her name? Jane Lynch. And there's so many people. And um, Martin Starr, I, I can't. He was in uh, Silicon Valley, right? I feel like that's where people would know him from. Um, but yeah, it's a good cast. A uh, lot of guest characters. Um, Kevin Hart's in it sometimes. Not Kevin Hart. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> but they have other people that pop up in it. But uh, yeah. Uh, and, and it's just kind of... Um, I don't know how you say it. Just it follows these group of people as they work and they get into these weird situations at these parties where these people and uh, the relationships between them. And it's really, it's really, really funny. So um, yeah, if you want to watch the first two seasons, those are on Hulu. And then the third one, the newest one is on uh, stars. Okay. All right. I definitely want to check it out. Cause it seems like my type of comedy. Oh yeah. You'll love it. You'll love it. There's a lot of memorable moments. All right. Um, I got caught up on a show I thought was over already. Um, it's said to be on Disney Plus, but I think that's internationally. But oh. in the States, it's on Hulu and it's called Gannibal. It's a Japanese series where an officer gets appointed to uh, a village. So he and his family moved to this small village where there was a mysterious death of the previous police officer there. And oh. as he investigates, he discovers that a particular family that lives in this village are cannibals. And <laughs> their ritualistic eatings is sort of like passed down from generation to generation. Um, oh. Yeah, if the story sort of starts a bit wonky and wacky because you discover the big secret kind of early on and you're like, well, where yeah. can it go? But it goes. Um, I don't think we would know any of the actors except um, the one that plays, I think his name's Kiyosuke. Gato is the actor from Tokyo Vice who played like the main gang member. Hmm. Follow. Yeah. Uh, his name's Sho Kasamasu. Kasamatsu. Um, yeah, he's one of those things. Like, if you see him, I'd recognize it. Yeah, if you watch Tokyo Vice, he was like um, the main Yakuza uh, game member that you follow in the narrative. Okay. But yeah, he plays sort of like the new leader of the Gato family. And it, it's wild. Like, I really thought it was a bit frivolous at first. It said, because there's like a mix of comedy and goofy to- undertones, but as the series goes on, the uh, tension and sort of like the ante climbs up like a lot. Um, 
And it just sort of shows like the corruption and the power that this family has over the village. And at every turn, it feels like the officer is getting um, absurd by this family. Like they they stay two steps ahead. Okay. Um, it's very interesting. I guess sort of like this ritual sort of based in sort of actual lore, like I guess centuries ago, this family would sort of sacrifice a child at this festival every year as some type of offering. And I guess they're still doing it. Um, wow. Yeah, it's a wild series. Um, but the plus is, I, one reason I didn't get into it early on is I thought it was like an hour long, but each episode is like 30 minutes, except oh, that's not bad. the most recent episode was like 56. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, it, it's really interesting. And I'm missing Netflix's Kingdom, so this is the next best thing. Uh, then jumping all the way down to Peacock, um, continuing to enjoy Poker Face. Um, this most recent episode was really good. It starred Nick Nolte and Sherry Jones, and it was actually Natasha Leone's directorial debut. Oh, wow. So, yeah, she directed this episode, and it there's some fun shots, really uh, good filmmaking choices in it so i think there might be three more episodes if there's 10 altogether in this season oh, uh, okay. i'm not sure but it, it's really really fun really good show it's right now the biggest original series for peacock right now um i also caught the premiere of bel-air second season is on peacock as well um episode was decent it kind of reintroduces you to the characters where they left off not too many re revelations or anything like that or whatnot but you can kind of see where trouble could be brewing ahead for this version of will smith yeah um and then real quickly we had the two episode premiere of snowfall over at mm -hmm. fx it's final season season six um did you ever did you ever start this? I got maybe like four episodes into the first season, then I just never <laughs> kept going. So yeah, I was kind of the same way. Like I never started it, and then I think by season three, I binged the first two to catch up. Yeah, it, it's really good. Um, created by John Singleton, and basically showcases like the war on drugs in the nineteen eighties through a young uh, uh, Oakland uh, man named Franklin Saint who gets in the game. Uh, it's basically hired by a CIA agent and it sort of reveals like how the government was behind the push of crack cocaine and black communities right. and the conspiracy and just what it did to black people as a whole during this time. Uh, it's really good. And this season, of course, is the final season. So people are going to die. It's just that yeah. simple. Like you don't, there's no good, good happy endings when you're a drug dealer. Right. Yeah, um, I may have to get back into that. Yeah, all seasons should be on Hulu and then each new episode is streamable the next day on Hulu, so. Yeah. Okay. Um, over at ABC, I surprisingly started The Company You Keep. This is low hmm. Milo uh Vinta whatever you yeah say. his last name yeah yeah from This Is Us he's actually executive producer of this and this is based on a South Korean show. Basically, Milo plays a man who comes from a family of cons. That's his profession, and after he sort of gets conned by his girlfriend, he falls in love with this mysterious woman. Falls in love hard, um, but it turns out. His new love is a CIA agent, and she investigates crimes like his. So it's sort of like this constant cat and mouse thing, but they don't know each other's real identities or true yeah. positions. It was actually really good. Um, there's some narratives I didn't expect, um, so I'm, I'm going to try to keep up with it. Um, and it airs every Sunday at 10 on ABC. And then I randomly caught this movie that's on Hulu. It's an uh, Oscar, Oscar nominated short film called My Year of Dicks. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's basically about the filmmaker's attempts to lose her virginity back in 1991 when she was like a 16 year old in high school. Yeah. 
it's really good. Yeah, I, I've heard a lot about it, and I, I just added it to my Hulu list, so. Yeah, the animation's great. Um, the, I'm guessing it's based on, like, real events, but it just, it felt like something from the 90s. It, it felt like you watching an episode of the real world. Like, it, it just... Yeah nostalgic but refreshing at the same time and it's real heartfelt as well because it feels so authentic uh, it's funny as hell um and it's only 25 minutes so right that's the big thing yeah i really enjoyed that so with that what will you be streaming for the weekend so finally uh uh daisy jones and the six hits prime video on the third so friday I've been waiting that for waiting for that for a while, um, and I think I feel like that's going to be a maybe not like a award winning hit, but I, it's definitely got fans because it's from a book that was a huge hit. So I think a lot of people are going to check that out. Mm-hmm. Um, Friday, not Friday, Saturday on Netflix. Um, Chris Rock has a comedy special, so I'll probably check that out. I genuinely like Chris Rock, so that should be interesting. And then that's really it. And uh, it's not next Sunday, but that following Monday, uh, I'm so ready for Perry Mason, but I'll wait to talk more about that next Sunday. But yeah, it's almost here. It is almost here. Right. Uh, Let's see, for me, Wednesday, we'd get the third season of The Mandalorian. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's Disney Plus. It's Disney Plus's most successful Star Wars series. Um, so we'll see where it goes from here. And that again stars Pedro Pascal, so he's doing double duty here. Um, the weekend I might see Creed three that drops on Friday. Um, and also NBC's Grand Crew returns on Friday. We know that Friday is usually where sitcoms go to die, but yeah, I'm really excited for the second season. I'm glad they got a second season because I really enjoy. Uh, this style of comedy it has so yeah yeah looking forward to that um as all as always we thank you for listening to another episode of it's a true life podcast with lauren and brandon uh please like review and share us on the platform you choose um if you want to hear more from us please follow us on instagram at stream for life oh my bad please follow us on instagram at stream for life pod and then on Twitter at Stream for Life. And that's S-T-R-M, the number four, Life. Uh, next week, we'll recap uh, the Screen Actor Guild Award winners, as well as the Independent Spirit Film Awards, as we get in preparation for the end of the award seasons with the Oscars on March. And until then, keep on streaming. Peace.